Ha! It's no secret that I'm a mega soaker. Sometimes I just put on a diaper, drink a little water, and bam, I'm leaking all over the place. And I'm left thinking, is it me? Am I the soaker? And then I found North Shore's Mega Maxes. Have you seen them? They say they can last up to 12 hours. 12 hours, I know! And they come in a variety of colors like white, pink, tie-dye, and blue. My favorites is blue. And the best part is it's anti-odor, so I can be my little stinker self all I want. If you want to get your grabby hands on them, just look in the show notes of this episode. I got you. It's like what North Shore always says. Be dry, be confident, be you. Hello, 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 and welcome to Newsies Nook, a podcast where you can sit and relax while I try not to wet my pamps. I am your host, Newsy Baby. This week in Newsies Nook, I want to talk about a topic that's not talked about a lot, disability and kink. July is Disability Pride Month, which celebrates the passing of the American Disabilities Act, which prohibits discrimination against people with disabilities. This topic sparked my interest after a friend sent me an interview called, You Are Guilty of Sexual Ableism. In the interview, LA Pup 2020-2021, Pup Star Orion, explains how everyone is guilty of sexual ableism. He explains that even though he may not always look like what a typical disabled person looks like, he notices a shift in people's interactions with him when they find out. To paraphrase a line from the interview, quote, Once people start having to help me, their attraction begins to quickly recede. Sex halts quickly, we kiss less, and they look at me with sadness. The touch goes from loving and firm to cautious and sterile, end quote. To better explain why we are all guilty of sexual ableism, here's my conversation with Pupstar Orion. In this article, you say that we're all guilty of sexual ableism. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, so I think we should first talk about what ableism means in case people don't know. Um, okay. I also like to know plenty of people who have been like, is that how you pronounce it? I thought it was ableism. And I was like, well, it's from the word able, right? So ableism, <laughs> good try though. Um, but yeah, it's just like another ism. I know another one, um, but it's specifically like the discrimination about like people who are disabled, right? And right. then when you compound that with sex, sexual ableism would be specifically in a sexual context. So a lot of people, and I'm just gonna be real with you, don't view disabled people as sexually viable. Um, from questions about like, oh, does your dick work? Like to literally people telling me that I'm un- unable to do something or that they're afraid for me when I do something in like a sexual or even more so in a kink context. And as a very kinky person, I find that very offensive. Right, because you were, before the interview, we were talking about how you suffer from fibromyalgia and arthritis. When you meet up with play partners is this something that you bring up to the play partners beforehand is it something they learn during the scene i mean when does the when does the ableism hit so i think that for me it's always been like something that i'm upfront about i know some people kind of bury the lead a bit and i don't think that's a necessarily a bad thing um so for context i also run a monthly social support group on zoom for disabled kinky players called chronically kinky Um, And I've had people say like, yeah, if it's not necessary, if it has nothing to do with the scene, I might not bring it up. I might never see this person again. Like, why do I need them to know my personal medical information? 
And I could see that, like, it's a, it doesn't necessarily need to be something you talk about if it has nothing to do with the scene. I do know other folks who are like, oh yeah, like, you know, I have a battery in my body. So uh, if I'm playing with someone, if I'm even in a dungeon, I let everyone know I can't be around a violet wand. That could like really damage my body if I'm accidentally touched by it. So I don't do that from a play and this is why, and please keep it away from me if you see it near me. Um, so I think it's kind of like dealer's choice. I like telling people because it's the way in which I live. It's, and I also think that because I use uh, a cane or a wheelchair on and off, mostly a cane, people will see me at an event with no mobility aid and then they'll see me next month with one and their immediate instinct is, oh my God, what happened? Nothing, I'm fine. I probably just feel a little worse than the last time you saw me. And that's okay. My, my mobility and my pain tends to fluctuate, which is pretty common with people with fibromyalgia and chronic pain. Right. Let's touch on something that you brought up just recently. The person mm -hmm. who was saying like, you know, they have a battery in their body and so they can't be near, you know, a wand and stuff. When you were saying that in my head, I was like, well, what's the difference between someone saying like, oh, hey, please don't use that wand around me versus like someone who's like, hey, I don't like to be spanked. Please don't, please don't spank me. In my head, those should be the mm -hmm. same thing, right? They shouldn't, they shouldn't be treated differently. But in your article, you were saying how like, when you bring up a disability, it gets twinged a little bit, right? You bring up how, when you bring up a disability, um, touch goes from loving to cautious. Do you, mm, find, yeah. do you find that happens a lot when you bring up like, hey, I have this disability and I can't do this thing. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden the scene now becomes like, oh, we need to now like coddle you or, oh, mm -hmm. you're damaged goods. Yeah. So first in reference to that friend with the battery, I would say the difference is like, it would be one thing to say, oh, I don't like a violet wand. And then, you know, like, oh, it's just something to be, I'm, we're not gonna use it. But it's another thing to say, it is medically dangerous for one to even be near me in case I accidentally, like someone slips and touches me, you know, like that's a whole different thing. Um, so I'd say like, yeah, the object would still be informed consent. This person doesn't wanna play with that. So we don't play with it. But it becomes this like more, at least for this person's case, like thing that to be stringent about where the person that they're playing with will go out of their way to make sure they're not like in, like, like if there's a violet wand, it's across the room. It's as far away as possible, right? For myself, I've noticed that because I'm a little more upfront and because I tell people like, this is what's going on, this is my body and here's where we're at, uh, especially because it fluctuates, it's a lot of checking in of here's where we're at today. Uh, here's where we're at this moment. Here's the things I've noticed in the last few days in my body and the things that I'm a little concerned about. Um, usually people who feel a type of way aren't going to play with me to begin with. Um, in the article, I specifically talk about that shift in connection um, in regards to relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's typically in relationships I've noticed, no matter how the person like feels about me, no matter how strong it is, at some point, my symptoms become all too real. They go from this thing that we talk about and acknowledge exists, or from this thing that they occasionally see, like a few dates with a cane here and there, to this thing that doesn't let me get out of bed, that doesn't let me feed myself, that the only thing I can do that day is cry because everything hurts so much and nothing changes, nothing helps. No medication, no amount of stretching, no amount of warm baths, it's just gonna suck that day. And it's usually when people see that, that I notice the switch. 
and it's like suddenly I'm fragile and I want to also emphasize that a lot of these times it's been like vanilla and like egalitarian relationships and people that like aren't necessarily in the kink community right let's go into you know we were talking about you know medically I can't do this versus hey I just don't like doing this for those that that have disabilities and you kind of brought up that it kind of depends on the scene but in your own advice is it better to be just upfront about it just so i mean you were also talking about relationships so i guess what i'm asking is is it when it's just a scene partner is it better to just be kind of casual about it but then if it's a relationship be more upfront about it i mean when when should a person be the most upfront I think it's a really interesting question and I'm gonna like talk about it from another intersection of mine and I'm gonna talk about it from like the lens of being a trans person so like I'm a trans non-binary person mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of debate about like when a trans person should or shouldn't disclose like their trans status and for most trans people what we say is that is my private medical information and I will do it at what I please right I don't need to tell you that on the first date I don't need to tell you that like because you find me attractive. I don't need to tell you that, like, because we're gonna have sex, like that is, I talk about it when I feel comfortable talking about it and when I feel safe talking about it. Now, when you're trans, it's a little different because the reality is, is like a lot of states still have trans panic laws and being trans and, you know, someone finding out about it when it's not opportune for them can be a death sentence, right? And in a lot of spaces, it can be a legal death sentence. Um, you don't necessarily like, view disabled people the same way but it's still like really emotionally taxing to constantly face that rejection um so if i use my own life as an example there have been plenty of times where i get messages on like grinder or like whatever other app and it's like you're so hot what are you doing and i'll go oh you know like i'm just chilling but i'm gonna go see my masseuse in a bit and people are like oh you have a masseuse and I go, yeah we're gonna get some body work done and they go why is that like you need to relax and i said no i'm having trouble walking and then it becomes like, it's not sexy anymore suddenly. Uh, it's not, it's not hot anymore. And then it becomes like, oh, well, why are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just like my right leg tends to have issues. So I get regular body work done so that I can stay on my two feet uh, with like minimal intervention, right? Um, and then it also helps me like keep my job because I do have a physical job. Um, and to be able to do that, I need to have my body in like the best condition possible, right? Um, and once that becomes like just a casual thing that I throw out there, the person just doesn't reply. Um, so I am very upfront because I don't want to waste time. And it's I'm the same way with my transness. I'm upfront. I'm going to tell you because your level of interest or disinterest is something that I need to know. But that's my decision. I've made the decision. It's what works for me. I don't think it's my place to tell somebody when they should disclose. It's just not, it's not my business. It's not my life. Is it something that you learn over time on how to balance that act of it's my right to disclose versus I think I should disclose? Is that something that just people learn with time of when to do that? I think so. I think everyone figures out what's right for them. And, you know, like going back to like, when do you disclose if at all in a scene versus like in a relationship, I think like that is somebody's journey and they kind of, by themselves will pick up when it's appropriate and that's kind of how it went for me it went from like being this thing that I didn't know how to talk about at all to like feeling like oh I have to talk about it like in the first conversation to like 
I'll pepper it in when it's appropriate. And I take questions, you know, like on my dating apps for the most part, like if it's a dating app, um, it'll usually mention that I'm disabled. Uh, if it's a hookup app, it probably won't. Um, but I don't hide it in conversations. It will come up. But it's what I've noticed in hookup apps is people are more, uh, they care more about the equipment in your pants than anything. And I get too many, like, how big is your dick? And I'm like, I don't know how to tell you, like, maybe an inch and a half without you getting very confused. <laughs> Before we move on to the hookup apps, I just had a question that popped into my mind. Was there a mm -hmm. moment that was like a learning experience for you of like, that was the moment you were like, okay, I'm getting into a groove of knowing when to disclose and when not to disclose. Because I'm, because to me, it seems like it's a very, it's something that you have to work on. It's, you know, for your, for your transness, it's something that you constantly are probably thinking about and like self-analyzing and through different experiences, you kind of learn like, okay, this situation probably don't need to disclose it. And it's my right not to disclose other cool. situations. You've probably been like, oh, I really want to disclose this because it makes me feel good. So was there a yeah. moment that was like a learning point for you of like, oh, okay, now I've figured out when to do it? I, I don't know if there was like necessarily a moment where I was like, ah, yes, I figured it out. Right. Usually <laughs> never is just, just like, one moment, but right? I was curious if maybe there was like a story or something. No, I don't think I, ha I think it was just a slow shift. I think it was just like repeated um, people like ghosting me when they found out that I realized that it was something that needed for myself and for like you know time is money baby like I don't want to talk to you for two weeks and then like I say I'm disabled and you disappear so like usually I'll pop it up in the first few conversations just because I don't want to waste anyone's time mostly myself um but it's interesting because like there there's a lot of discussions around like the concept of like invisible disabilities and if I'm not using a mobility aid a lot of people don't look at me as a disabled person if I just for whatever reason don't feel like using one that day, um, like I do have carpal tunnel and like uh, I've been told like there's definitely like a possibility of arthritis. Um, so sometimes even holding the cane hurts like you have your hand in this one position for a very long time. So sometimes it makes my arm very sore if I'm using it a lot. So some days it's actually just easier to every time I go to a social event to just spend all of it sitting um, and to be like well medicated. Right. So like whether that's CBD oil or like prescription medication or a combination. Uh, so sometimes that's the easiest thing and people look at me and I just read like, I just wanna chill, I just wanna sit. Um, but if I'm at a sex party or like a pool party or even not wearing a shirt, like most people figure out that I'm trans fairly easily. Uh, and I've kind of done that on purpose, right? Like I enjoy being a visibly trans person. Um, that's how I've choose to exist. Uh, so it's usually easier for people to, to register that or to at the very least go, there's something different about this person. Um, full disclosure, I don't have nipples. And that's usually people's clue. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, it was a fun choice. There you go. And then, well, let's deep dive into that. Was it a choice because you were like, this is what I want for my body and I don't give a shit about whatever anyone else thinks? So it was a multitude of things. Um, one of them being, like I stated, that I like the idea of being visibly trans. I'm not a binary trans person. I never wanted to, quote unquote, pass. I don't want to be like stealth in any regard. I don't think there's anything wrong with people who do. It's just not my journey. I wanted people to look at me and be like, yeah, there's something not quite the same. 
Um, and so I, what is one of the reasons I chose not to have nipples? Another is I really like chest tattoos and I'm a stickler for like how people's nipples get incorporated into chest tattoos and like not to be an ass, but I feel like sometimes it ruins chest tattoos for me where it's just like this beautiful black and gray work and then like a pink nipple and then it keeps going. And I'm like, oh, that's a little weird. You could have like maybe shifted that a little, I don't know. So I was like, I don't want to deal with that and then be a hypocrite and hate my own future chest tattoo. So we're just not going to do nipples at all, blank canvas. Um, so that was it. It's also like healing for some people is better than others. Um, it's not common, but some people like, you know, can and have lost a nipple or both. Um, and there was like an anxiety about that. And this is going to sound very odd, but even as like a young adolescent, I had this weird fear of like my nipples being ripped off for some reason. I don't know where that came from. I can't explain it. I do remember someone putting like, tape on literally my shirt but like my chest and I started feeling like anxious there's no way it was gonna hurt my nipple but I was still like a weird like weirdly nervous um to be like completely honest uh in my like very early 20s when I was like 19 like to 21 ish um I did suffer from like some level of psychosis and that was another concern that if that ever came back that it would be a problem. That, that's a part of my body that I couldn't feel. So a lot of people use lose sensation um, or something that played into a fear that I knew I had. That was like another very small part of it. The biggest part of my decision-making was the tattoo though. Got it. I guess the only thing that when you were describing that story, something that popped into my mind and now I'm conflicted if I'm like, do I tell this thing that popped into my mind or do I don't, but I'll do it anyway. Hopefully you won't hate me after, but I was thinking- Well, I'm excited. It would be really, have you ever had a scene where like someone's like, oh, like, are your nipples really sensitive? And like, they're trying to be all like hot and sexy. And you're like, I do. I, I don't do. have any. I was at a dungeon pretty early on after having like recovered from top surgery. And I was there in my pup gear, um, as the name implies, I am a puppy. And so I was kind of like playing with a toy on the ground and this person waved me over. So I like, you know, scampered over and they started like throwing the toy for me. And then, you know, when I would bring it back and do a trick, they'd like shove their boots in my face. I love boots. That's like definitely one of my favorite pieces of gear. So I'm mm -hmm. like inhaling the leather. We're having a good time. And then the person like comes up behind me and then starts touching my chest and tries to pinch my nipples and their hands just slip off. And then they started kind of like feeling around and like patting my chest and there's nothing there. And I got like real stiff and awkward because I, this is my first time navigating this. So then I stood up and turned around and the person looked at me and kind of had this, oh shit face. And then I shrugged and they were just kind of like, they waved it off like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Uh, and then we just kept playing. Right. But it was this like very hilarious moment. That's so funny. Yeah. It you was know what? very you fun. You should have fucked with him and been like, can't you find my nipples? Yeah, what's up with you? We used to play when I used to bind. Me and my ex used to play find the nipple. They were very good at it. Everyone else, all of our other friends, bad at it. Um, and I would like try to kind of shift like where my breasts were to like throw them off, but they were too good at it. And so when I finally had surgery, they were like, "Hey, do you want to play one last game of find the nipple?" And I was like, "We can." And they're like, "Just say it." So I was like, "All right, find the nipple." And they were like, "In the garbage." <laughs> like, Thanks. That makes me feel much better. <laughs> Well, let's let's deep dive into into that, like responses, how to respond. So let's take, for example, the guy who is trying to find your nipple. Mm -hmm. There's probably two, right? There's probably two ways, a, a correct way of doing it and the wrong way of doing it. How, in your opinion, how was his response to 
finding out you didn't have a nipple nipples i think it was fine like they looked like oh shit kind of like you know they had a you know realization like egg on my face this is a blunder and then i shrugged because it's fine i why would you most people have nipples why would you expect me to not have nipples that's okay i was on the ground most of the time you it's dark you can't see my chest that's fine and then we moved on and that was okay and i think like that's what it is is like I, you know, I, I go to bed with a lot of people and I don't always know what's going to happen or what they got going on. And what I usually tell people, because they're like, well, I need to know, I'm like, you don't really need to know everything. And sometimes a surprise is nice. So there's been plenty of times where people like drop their pants. So I'm like, oh, that's not necessarily what I was expecting, but I'll be damned if I don't put my mouth on it. And so you move forward. <laughs> little, little surprise. Just to play devil's advocate, because you probably, you probably have had multiple scenes what would be the wrong way to react to you not having nipples i think um i've never had someone do something like outlandishly bad um i have had people come up to me and be like hey i just like want to know if you're trans i just been like staring at you for like the last half hour and i can't figure out why you don't have nipples and i'm like that's a little weird uh and i think like first of all that's you don't tell me you've been staring at me that's fucking weird dude but like on top of that is the person came up to me while i was engaging in play to ask that mm-hmm. and like it wasn't a super serious scene at a dungeon it was um if you're familiar with off sunset here in los angeles mm-hmm. the little like leather street festival um the person like had me like shoved against a gate and we were like you know making out and like doing stuff so it was like still like a little odd because i was like did you need to come in this moment like really <laughs> right now you want to be the boner killer <laughs> you want to tell me right now even yeah like that when you want like first of all i know everyone's staring at me that's why we're here <laughs> but that's not why i want to be stared at right so i think like just people have different bodies you have no idea what's going on and i think another thing that people forget is that like cis people also have gender affirming surgeries you know and when i had top surgery i had complications and so I went in for like an early pre, uh, post-op appointment and just to like check in because I knew things were like not quite going exactly well and my surgeon wasn't there. So a different surgeon checked on me just to make sure I was okay. And he was telling me like, oh yeah, like this happens, it's fine. Like, here's what we're going to do. And then he said like, I've seen this all the time. And then he stopped himself and goes, I don't see a lot of trans patients, but I do this surgery a lot for like cisgender men who have lost a lot of weight and so i see this so like you will see that it happens you will also see like cis men who have surgery scars that are very similar to like a trans person's top surgery scars so i think like just don't really assume um you can't ask questions do it when it feels like right and always be okay with somebody saying like i actually don't want to answer that that has to also be okay Uh, i also get people who like don't understand that i'm trans and they just think i don't have nipples because I'm like into scarification, uh, which I always think is really interesting because I do like knife play. I do like being cut. I do like scars. But if someone sliced off my nipples, which is what they think in this scenario, right? Um, First of all, real extreme kink. I would only be able to do it like once, maybe twice, right? (laughs) But then you think I would also have scars where the nipples used to be. Mm-hmm. and they don't it never registers to them they're just like oh you have two like visible mine are like kind of light but like two visible scars on your chest and no nipples i bet that guy is really into body mods i was like please explain that to me i would love to know that body mod 
Um, I have had someone also message me to be like, it's really hot that you don't have nipples. You know, I like the removal of body parts. How did you get a surgeon to agree to that? And would they remove my belly button for me? I don't even know how to begin to unpack that. <laughs> That's so, I don't know how to respond to that. But you, I didn't either. <laughs> but I, when you were talking, I thought of, do you believe that that when you are meeting another scene partner, there is a lot of assumptions that are happening on what that other person has on their body, what that other person probably is into based on the information given and stuff, right? Like that person assumed you had nipples. Why couldn't it have been a, sure. like um, this? Or like a lot of people yeah. assume that you don't have a disability. You were talking about invisible disabilities. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is it a free pass for people to just have those assumptions? Is it should we as 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 progressive people should we just start treating people as more like all right you're a blank canvas let me learn about you when I meet you? What's your I think like that? wouldn't wouldn't it be nice if we all like had the ability to walk in and not have any assumptions like wouldn't it be nice if I could just learn about you through you and not through the lens in which I've been raised societally, right? But that's not reality. So rather than think about like this beautiful utopia, I'd like to focus on the concept of like, we have all been spoon fed a lot of concepts growing up. Um, and it, this all circles back to even like the title of um, that article being like, you know, like you were guilty of sexual ableism and why it's not a you might be and why it is a you definitely are. Um, because all of us, myself included, like I am not excluded from this, have been spoon fed everything our entire lives about what is normal and what isn't and what is right and what isn't right. So the way I have been taught is that people look this certain way and that means they have nipples and that means if you look like this and this is what your genitals look like and this is normal and this isn't, right? Uh, I think rather than wish that we could be this person who just took people as they were, we work hard to become that person. And we recognize that we will never be perfect and we will always make mistakes, but it's okay to make mistakes. You know? We don't make mistakes because we wanna hurt people. We make mistakes because it's what we know. And sometimes people know better and they tell us better. And we take that with love and we take that with gratitude. So like, I don't say um, that people want to be guilty of sexual ableism, but I know that they are. And I know that I am too. I include myself in that statement because I would like the whoever's listening to think about how many disabled people in their life they consider sexually viable mm. and to sit with that number. And like, you know, you get things like love on the spectrum on Netflix, which is such an interesting thing to hear like actual autistic people talk about. And I know some people who like have found like some level of, ah, I see myself in this and I see things that like in retrospect have helped me realize that I'm on the spectrum and that's nice but for the most part look at the music that they're playing look at the way that they're framing the autistic adults in that show and think to yourself do you leave an episode thinking an autistic person is a sexually viable partner an autistic person is a viable romantic partner that's not the aim of that show right that's the big criticism and when hearing this from autistic people um, I sat for, with myself because I also watched the show and thought, 
I view autistic people as, you know, like viable partners, but I didn't leave that show thinking that I walked into that show already thinking that because I had already had autistic play partners because I had already gone on dates with autistic people because I already had exes who were autistic but had I not had that experience would I be able to look at that show and not just eat up the infantilization probably not I feel like this is going to open a can of worms but I am ready to open it is you know when when you bring up kind of like did i walk away from that show thinking like oh autistic people are like viable play partners or even play partners in general i i guess you know is your opinion that we should have shows that are that are feeding audiences like hey this type of person this is this is a sexual person you can have sex with this person I think if you're going to make a show that documents the dating lives of autistic adults, it shouldn't be ableist, right? Like, it shouldn't be like, oh, look at this cutesy little song that, like, makes the person look kind of adorable. But, like, it doesn't make the person, like, sexy or attractive, right? It doesn't, like, you wouldn't play that show in a dating show that wasn't centered around autistic folks. These decisions are conscious, right? Um, Yeah, I just, I think that we should like if that was the aim was to like center autistic people that first of all they should have a lot more autistic people on the staff and second of all that it should come the same way that it comes at like most other dating shows and just being like yeah here's this person here's the reality of dating if you're like x y and z and how it might look different but that's kind of it but like why why is the framing so infantilizing and that's the common thing with disabled people. They're not sexually viable because society infantilizes them. You can't do anything on your own. Everyone has to hold your hands to that. That's so, so your partner has to be a caretaker, which isn't necessarily true. Mm. Do partners often opt into like being like caretakers? They can, they do. Um, you know, my daddy did to an extent, um, but there's also boundaries around that. He makes it very clear that he is not here to take care of me 24 7 and that's okay uh, and that he has boundaries and that he's allowed to say no when I need help and that has to be like okay with us that's our relationship and what we've decided on but he also takes care of me and sometimes care looks like domination and sometimes domination looks like care right would what would what in your opinion would make that show because right if I mean if you look at the history of of queer representation in media, it usually always begins. I always use the example of Will and Grace, right? Will and Grace are is mm. very archetype archetype characters of yeah. gay males, right? You have the masculine and the hyper feminine one, and then it, mm. it only recently, and I would argue only within like maybe the last five years, have we started to mm-hmm. see representation of queer people in media in a more being queer wasn't the punchline. If anything, it was yeah. like the ending of the line or just like the surface mm-hmm. of the line where there's so much more color there. There's so much more other things happening and, and being queer and being gay or whichever part, you know, that wasn't the punchline. So mm-hmm. I guess in some ways this is the TV show is a good starting point, but I agree, right? There's so much more that could be done in your opinion. Do you think having a scene, a, you know, a romantic scene where him being autistic isn't the punchline would are you getting at that that would make it a better show so what i'm gonna say as now i'm gonna play devil's advocate 
why do we need a will and grace for everything? Why do we need like a bad representation to get people used to us? Because like I watched Will and Grace growing up. I loved Jack, but Jack was the punchline. Jack was the bad gay. You don't want to be with him. He's too effeminate. He doesn't want to work. He's lazy. He's slutty. And Will's the good one because he just wants a stable monogamous relationship in which he's married. And like, if you look back at like things like marriage equality, how many gay people wanted to be palatable and constantly did the like, I only want to marry one other person of my same gender who I love and will love forever and raise a family and that, that, that. And I don't want to be like those, you know, people who want to marry a bunch of people or I don't want to be like these people. And like, why is that? Why do we need to throw other people under the bus to like be accepted? It's assimilation, right? Um, so like as a non-monogamous person, as someone who never wants to get married, as someone who has deviant sex and loves it, like I've always had a problem with like that concept is like this idea of like, no, I just, I want to be like everyone else. I'm not like everyone else. And I don't want to be. In fact, you're a little boring. And if you want to be boring, that's great. Um, I don't, I want to have fun. And so like, why do I need to like, have a and and I'm going to emphasize that I am not autistic and that if you really want to have a conversation about like what would make that show better it should be had with autistic people that's the reality right I'm also like on the aromantic spectrum so I don't really have a lot of romantic relationships and that show centers romantic relationships so that's another thing that I don't really do well with um but like why do we need kind of like piss poor representation to slowly get people to warm up to us? I don't think we do. I think we can just make our real lives. And if people want to engage with that, then they can. If they don't, well, that's too bad. I guess the really simple answer to that is we need more people at the table making the decisions on what gets created. Absolutely. And as of right now, right? People could keep people could write all those stories that you just described. Mm-hmm. Don't mean crap unless the people <laughs> at the table who make the decisions on what gets greenlit get Yeah, those. absolutely. And then I would follow that up by saying, Yeah, it doesn't happen until we get a seat at the table. Here's the other thing. We are capable of building our own table. Is this not what this platform is? Who would green light your podcast? What you? You bring up a very good point. Very so good I, point. I also like, yeah, I also work a lot in like QDI BIPOC, like kink spaces, which for those who don't know, specifically stands for queer, trans, intersex, black, indigenous, and people of color. Um, and I could wait all day for somebody to give us a platform, or I could also just make my own event. I don't need you to invite me in. I could also build this myself. And I did. And I do. And I do that with other people. And I do that with community. I love it. Before we go, I want to ask one last question in terms of how to respond, because I think this is important, right? Because, you know, not a lot of people are are the most comfortable going to a scene, going to an event. Usually, usually in today's culture, our first meetups with people are through apps, right? Mm-hmm. And so I want to use the example you brought up a little bit earlier about how you were, you were you were at home or wherever you were and you were like, I'm going to go get a massage. And the other person was like, Ooh, why? And you were like, cause I have, I need to get my muscles smoothed out. And he was like, Ooh, how sexy. And you were like, yeah, cause I have this, you know, I have this disability. Mm-hmm. And, they, and then the conversation ended. How should someone 
respond on an app if let's say and you can take that person example mm-hmm. how should have they responded if you were like oh i need to get my muscles you know massage mm-hmm. because that's just that's just a mechanic thing that i need to do for my body how mm-hmm. should that how should have that person responded i think there's a lot of power in neutrality i don't necessarily need you to like be super like oh wow I think like a lot of people they they like overcompensate they go into like super positive like the amount of people who will do the like you're so brave and that's so powerful and that like um stuff like that like is also pretty gross um he could have just been like oh for sure and what are you doing tomorrow and the conversation could have continued right like it could have just been like uh, I acknowledge this thing that you said and now we keep talking because we're people and that's what we do and one of the things that like um I have a series of bad exes, like I feel like most people do, but I also have a series of really good exes. And one of them, I remember was telling me like, you know, I love you and like, you know, the things, and they stopped and said, I don't love you despite all these different things that you are. I love you fully acknowledging them. And that was really powerful to me because I think a lot of us and a lot of like media that we consume, especially around disability is this idea that you love a disabled person despite their disability. You can see past it, but you, but I don't want you to see past it. I want you to see it in its full reality because that's the problem, right? Is I go on dates, as people fall in love and that's great. And they look past the disability and past all the stories and past all the like things that I'm being very transparent about. And then it happens in front of them. And it's okay that it's jarring and it's okay that it's not what you expected it to look like. But what's not okay is that it's changed who I am suddenly. That was the point of writing that. Um, That was the point of that conversation in that interview is that I noticed people who were so adamant about loving me change in days. All it took was like a few bad days in a row. And you know, it's consent, right? They're, They're totally within the right to be like, this is out of my level of depth. This is out of my wheelhouse and I can't do this. And that's okay. But I implore people to unpack why that is and why there's so much discomfort with that. Like, and the thing is, above all else, your body right now, your able body is temporary. Disability is coming for us all. It is the one thing you will find in like every category. It doesn't matter what your gender, what your sexual orientation, what your race is, disability is prominent. In fact, maybe it does matter because you will notice that disproportionately speaking, like BIPOC live with disabilities and disproportionately speaking, BIPOC are the least people that you will see represented in disability communities. And you'll also like also have like medical racism, right? So in that case, it does matter. But like, no matter who you are, no matter what your income level, no matter like what your social status is, disability comes for us all. We could all be in an accident tomorrow we will all age and things will fluctuate and change, right? And on top of that is we're in a pandemic right now. COVID, you may not have heard this if you don't like tap into specifically disabled communities. COVID is a mass disabling effect. That's what it is. So many people are gonna walk away with long haul symptoms that are gonna change their life forever. That's the reality. So the sooner we start realizing that we live in an ableist society, the sooner we can do better. To play devil's advocate, or I didn't even know if this would be devil's advocate. You brought up someone who, who you know, they said, you know, I love you 
for your disabilities and then you know a couple day a couple bad days go by and then they can't do it anymore does that make them a bad person does that make them a weak person i mean what happens if someone really does truly love you and you know yes maybe maybe they're not maybe the phrasing of that is like oh you love me just for my disability that kind of seems kind of gross but like let's say they're trying to love you and they just can't handle or they can't provide what you need and so they walk away so i'm gonna backtrack and okay i'm gonna backtrack for a second and say that i was talking about two different people the person who was like i love you with acknowledging everything that is here different person right 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 right. Um, i guess what i'm getting at is i'm guessing that's the situation that a lot of people who are dating um people with disabilities goes through right they go through a moment of like i can't handle too many bad days i just can't provide for you and they're probably feeling like oh i i suck i i can't do this Mm -hmm. like i don't deserved you know they probably going through a myriad of things what's you what's your what's your insight to them what's your insight to those partners again like like i said like i i don't think it's like a moral failing on these people like i completely acknowledge like it's valid to say i don't want to put up with this i've definitely had someone go like between like your medical stuff and my schoolwork i don't know what to do that's okay but i do think it's something that we should all sit with. Why is that like something that you don't know how to deal with when the reality is you're probably going to be disabled too. It's just a matter of time. And like when your like long-term like married partner of like blah, blah, blah decades starts to have insert disorder, is it still something that you're not going to be able to deal with? And it's okay to like know your threshold and know your limit. Again, like me and my daddy have a relationship in which he has explicitly stated like i it's not my responsibility to take care of you this is your body this is your life and you need to take care of it but he does help and he doesn't make it his responsibility to at least help and but that's like you know to emphasize that like we are in a dynamic and part of that dynamic is care-based and like i am his pet and he takes care of me um but care can look like numerous things. It doesn't always look like doing everything for me. Sometimes it looks like keeping me on a routine that helps me maintain myself. So I need less intervention, right? But I don't think it makes anybody a bad person. And when we have these conversations, me and my daddy, I tell him that too. Like, you are not wrong for telling me no. You are not a bad person for telling me no. But I also do need these things. So how do we meet in the middle and come to a solution that doesn't feel like you're being pressured, but doesn't feel like I'm being neglected? And what does that look like? And does that look like upping my medication? Does that look like more doctor's appointments so that I can like do X, Y, and Z thing by myself? Um, I think the other thing is there is an emphasis, at least in like able-bodied communities on independence and that like interdependence is always wrong. But I think interdependence, so long as it's done very ethically, can be okay. And it is a reality for a lot of disabled people. So it's another thing to think about. Uh, Another big part of ableism is this emphasis on like, you know, how do we get you to function normally? Um, You know, the whole like differently able argument, like you're not disabled, you're just differently able. No, some days the reality is, is like, this is the word because it means I am not able. I can't do it and that has to be okay. And that means sometimes I have to lean on people and that means I have a good support system and I've built a good support system. And if I can't feed myself tomorrow and like 
my partner isn't available to help me because like first of all one of my partners is long distance and also people get fucking busy um that I have a good support system whether that's like call like putting a call on Instagram being like I can't function right now I need help and somebody answering or talking to my friends who are local you know like I think community care is a radical act and something that we should all invest in and so like no I don't put it all on my partners I don't want people to like come under the impression that I have this high expectation of them in my specific history what I've noticed is they seem to like it hurts just to look at me and sometimes it's just the the seeing my partner in pain and unable to do anything that kind of kills people and kind of kills the romance and kills the like sexual energy. Um, and I'm not going to say that that like is completely different now. And I've figured it all out. I still see days, um, you know, my daddy is a masseuse. So in his mind, he goes to work and he's a healer. That means some days he doesn't want to come home and also take care of people. That also means he's very solution oriented and he's used to people coming in and then he helps them and then they leave and they're happy. That doesn't happen in the house sometimes. That doesn't happen at home. Sometimes, no matter what we do, I still feel awful and I'm going to continue to feel awful. And that's also a discomfort that he's had to sit with and I have to sit with. And that has to be okay. We have to be able to be clear and open and say like, yeah, this sucks. This is hard. And it's hard on him and it's hard on me and it's hard on both of us for different reasons, right? But that's our relationship. That's a partnership. It's the same thing with like people with mental health issues or like, oh, I didn't realize, like I knew my partner was depressed and then they had an episode and I didn't know what to do suddenly. And it's okay to not know what to do. It's okay to need medical intervention. It's okay to need a professional. You're ultimately most likely not a doctor. And when I teach like classes on specifically engaging with disabled people, one of the things I emphasize is you're either A, not a doctor. And even if you are, you're not your partner's doctor. Mm. Those things have to be okay. Yeah. And then in, you brought up a point, you know, Yes, I saying the word disabled. I, I'm not going to lie. In preparation for this interview, I kept going back and forth in my head. Do I use the word disabled? What's your just really quick? What's your stance on that word? Because I'm not going to lie. In the preparation for this interview, I was like, do I say the word disabled? Like, right? It has that twinge of mm -hmm. of weirdness to not. I won't say weird. It has a twinge. It has a negative twinge to it. There you go. It has a negative and, and, twinge to it. And so I, so I was, even in my last question that I will eventually ask, yeah. you, I used the word ailment. And now after having this conversation with you, I'm like, why did I use that word? I should just use the word disabled. So. Huh. I mean, I don't mind the word ailment. That's totally fine. Like I, but you know, like as a label, I personally like disabled. Um, and you'll find like different schools of thoughts, you know, disabled people are not monolith. That's the reality, right? Um, you will find, I don't know if you've ever heard of like the concepts of identity first language versus person first language. Um, I'm more depending, like really can, it can depend, but I'm usually like an identity first person. That's how I like. So that would be the difference between saying like a disabled person, identity first, or a person with disabilities, you know, person first language. Um, a lot of people think person first language is better because it emphasizes that this is a person at the end of the day, like what comes first is this is a person. But 
I don't see a difference between like saying I am a disabled person and saying I am a trans person. I wouldn't say I am a person with transgender. That doesn't really sound right, right? Like I wouldn't say that I am a person with queer tendencies. Like, no, I'm gay. Like I'm just, I'm a big old, I'm not gonna say because some people might be offended. Um, but <laughs> like I personally like identity first language. And some people even emphasize asking that question, hey. If, like you've made a disabled person, you're not sure. You go, do you prefer person first language or identity first language? And yeah, like some people, you know, if we go back to autism, we'll say like autistic person or they'll say people with autism, right? It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it becomes a matter of personal preference, but overarching, like in the general broad sense, more often than not, you will hear disabled people say that they like the word disability because it's the reality. Um, if we go back to the, what I said about differently abled, the implication is I can do this. I just do it a little different than you. And that can be true, but it's not always true. And it also like ignores the fact that, no, I can't. Let's use a hypothetical. Somebody is a wheelchair user. There's over a myriad of different types of wheelchair users, right? Some people can walk um, short distances. Some people uh, can walk like me, like pretty long distances. And then some days cannot, right? And then some people cannot walk at all. These are all wheelchair users, right? Um, so some of those people, yeah, they can do things. It just looks a little different, right? It just means I use my wheelchair most of the time. And then sometimes I get up when I have to. And some people can't. So to say like, oh, you can walk. You just do it a little different. Well, try that person with stairs. They can't do it. That's just the reality, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Disability is not a dirty word. And we've all been taught it is from a very young age. You don't say that. You say handicapable. You say differently able. They're special. Don't look at the disabled person, little Johnny. Don't ask questions. Don't stare. You know, like we've been taught that disability is dirty. It's like, you don't want to look at it. Like you smile, you nod politely, and you kind of like shield your child away from them. Um, no, I think that like, first of all, your kids should learn how to talk to disabled people because they're gonna meet disabled people and it's okay to mess up and it's okay to be wrong. We all are sometimes, but disability isn't like a dirty thing. It's not a dirty word. It's the truth. Some things I cannot do and that's okay. So I have to ask, you know, of course your, your, king, your main kinks are like power exchange, pub play. In the article you talk about being at Folsom, being in a wheelchair and someone mm -hmm. jumping on your knees and, and like most people, you were you kind of wrote like would have been shocked but you were like no this actually feels like effing amazing yeah how do you, how does someone with disabilities incorporate their disabilities into play i'm so glad you asked um so i'm gonna first of all plug the person who jumped on me um knee first into my thighs um ferris oxide who is a wonderful amazing bdsm educator who actually has a class on dark disability play so if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty of how to incorporate disability into your kink life into your sex life i would check for the next time that they're teaching a class they usually will post them on instagram and you can find them at ferris oxide right um for myself because i have for a long time played with ferris like on and off whenever you know they're around and i'm around and i have permission for my dominance um we have found fun ways my personal favorite being um not the Folsom one but actually at domcon and maybe maybe it was 2019 um domcon so you know king conference that tends to focus more on folks in the professional field 
um, they have the pet award show and it's a bunch of different like human role, like animal human role play. Um, and they let them do various tricks. Um, they, you know, they show them around. And then at the end, people get reward, like little awards. Um, we got best relationship, which I thought was hilarious because we've never been in a relationship. Um, but people always think we are. Everyone thinks we are because we just like vibe so well. Um, but what we did for our like trick scene was they had me walk forward while they were standing behind me. And I was using my cane because it was one of those days. And I knew it was coming, but I didn't know quite when. And they came up behind me and they kicked it from underneath me grabbed me like by the head and like by like the seat of my pants basically and dropped me to the ground while saying go down puppy yeah it's a puppy trick down so they pull me down and then they grabbed my cane and they flung it across the room and they said now go fetch and so I went on all fours and I picked it up in my mouth and I brought it back and everyone in that room looked so uncomfortable and we even like emphasized at the beginning like this is not a prop this is the cane that I use every day this is a medical piece of equipment. Everyone looked uncomfortable. I'm sure none of the judges knew exactly how to score that. Um, so good luck to them, right? <laughs> and then no one really talked to us about it at the end, except for one person, the one person in that room on, that used the wheelchair. And that's what mattered, was that person came up to us and said, I love what y'all did. Thank you so much. And we said, sure, of course, it's what we do. There are plenty of ways to play with it. Um, I've always wanted to do like a scene in my own wheelchair where I'm strapped down to it, like tied down to it to kind of make a play on the term wheelchair bound um, because it's typically not an appropriate term um, because the implication when you say wheelchair bound is that this wheelchair is something that I'm stuck with and it is a restriction, right? But the reality is for people who utilize wheelchairs is a wheelchair is freedom. A wheelchair is my legs when I don't have use of mine or have limited use of mine. My wheelchair is the difference between that day not going to Folsom and enjoying the whole day, right? So we can't look at like mobility aids as something that is blockading us or rather something that's giving us access to spaces. Accommodations are freedom. And that's what I like to look at. So I really wanna play with like more ideas like that um here's another fun thing when I first started pet play I was in denial that I was a puppy which is fun to say now as like a former puppy title holder a pet play educator like well known as just my like puppy persona at this point you know like I've gone to different countries and judged puppy contests mm -hmm. um so like it's it's so funny to look back but I was very much in denial that, that was something I wanted to do I was so scared of it being like too weird and I was dating this dominant. And at the time, my mobility was having a lot of issues. My doctors weren't quite sure what to do. We, I wasn't on the right medications. I didn't have the right routine. So it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon, unfortunately, for me to, by the end of the day, feel so bad that I would rather crawl places than walk because it evenly distributed my weight and it didn't put all this pressure on my leg. And so it shortened my, like, you know, my, my walk to the bathroom could take like an hour, which is not okay, especially if someone with IBS. But if I crawled, it would take a lot less time, right? And that person's response wasn't like, oh my God, you poor thing. They were just like, you know, if you're going to be on all fours anyway, you might as well be a dog. 
and something about that made pet play okay for me Mm. that was the light switch moment for me and it's one of the rare light switch moments that I've had in my life where it didn't take me a long time to get here it was just an instant okay let's do it and I started researching and I realized oh my god puppies wear knee pads to protect their knees my knee hurts all the time oh when people go to pet moshes the floor is padded like there's all these safety precautions. People check on you. People bring you water and like people are affectionate and nice to you and touch you really gently. And I can do all of that and still be a kinky person. Yeah, no, I want that one. And so I did that. And then as I you know, got better acclimated to my body and found things that worked for me, uh, I also had major shifts in what I could do as a kinky person. Um, so I would like to always tell people that I started off in a way that I feel most people do. Um, I started with like, you know, a paddling or a spanking here and there. I can't do that anymore. I don't know what the change is exactly, but because that tends to be like a sharper, stingier pain, my body registers it as a pain flare and starts panicking because there are days where I feel a sharp pain in my like leg or my hips or like, you know, like around those muscles. And that is my, like my, my notice to you got to sit down now or you might fall. So when I engage in that type of play, post like my fibro getting worse, it didn't work anymore. I couldn't eroticize it. It just hurt and it was scary in a bad way. And I'm all for fear play, but not that kind. But what I did learn is if you do very deep, like impact in the muscles, that's very thuddy. I love that. Not only do I love it, but it often makes me feel better. Um, like it overrides the nerves and I kind of forget how much pain I'm in. It just kind of like makes everything shut off for a moment. And that's very nice. Uh, I am not the first person to discover this. I read a beautiful article that I have lost, unfortunately, of someone who also had fibromyalgia and was in a year long pain flare. Nothing worked for this person. Mm. And then they got flogged and it stopped. This is not to say that like BDSM is medication. It's not, right? The same way I emphasize that it's not therapy, but it can be therapeutic. Mm. So what I've learned is like my body has made changes and it was hard to adjust to. I had to go through a mourning process of I can't do X, Y, and Z. Most people can't bite me anymore. And the people who do, it's, it's not that it feels good. It's a sharp, stingy pain. It's more that I allow them to because of my submission. So I will bear through something that I don't necessarily love for their sake. Um, and that's okay. Like that's something I've consented to. It does mean that it's off the table for almost everyone else. Um, but what I can do now is you can totally, if I lay on the ground and you're wearing a nice pair of boots or even heels, but those are slightly harder to do. Um, you can stand on me with your full weight. And some people have even jumped up and down on me. And it's like, no problem. But you can't spank me or I will have a panic attack. Bodies are funny. Wow. In wrapping up, what, what is like one huge takeaway? If someone was listening to this and they have a disability, what's one big takeaway you want to tell them? Find other disabled people because they're the most creative motherfuckers you will find. And if somebody says, you can't do this thing, you can't experience this thing, they're not thinking broad enough. That's just, it is what it is. You can find a way. 
there are people out there who want you to find a way and that are enthusiastic about you finding a way. Yeah, like I remember thinking on the days that I couldn't really walk, how am I a puppy if I can't scamper around? How am I a puppy if I'm in a wheelchair? And then I remembered people push dogs and strollers all the time. I'm just spoiled. <laughs> That's all it is. And I remember being like, how can I serve, you know, like if I, if I don't feel well, like how can I um, like meet these needs that my daddy has if he spends so much time taking care of me? How is he the dominant? Well, care goes in a lot of different directions, right? Like my sir may not, massage me and like stretch with me and do all these things but he cares about me in other ways right he keeps me focused in other ways that's just you know my daddy takes care of me I'm his pet when your pet has a problem you take care of them if that means a diet change then you do that you do what the vet says you try your best for them and it doesn't make me less of a submissive what I've had to learn and I have to tell a lot of the specifically disabled submissives this is pick your battles I cannot do every last thing for my daddy. He does not sit and like, you know, I wait on him hand and foot. That's not the reality. In fact, for a lot of people who have very traditional views on DS, it might look like the opposite most days where he brings me things in bed. He sets me up, he puts pillows behind me, you know, like he brings me massagers and like heated stuff to like pull on my sore muscles. He will sit there with the massage gun. He will rub me and like do all these things for me. But that's all maintenance, baby. That's to make sure that when we go out there and he needs me to be an effective, like service-oriented person, that I am well-rested, that I am taken care of, and that I'm the most effective person possible. And that's his job. You got to protect the property. I'm the property. And that's what he does to protect me. Even for me some days, because I will overdo it. And I know I will. And so instead we maintain at home so that when we do go out to stuff like Folsom, to his bar nights, to whatever else, that I am on task and I am on him and I do everything he asks and that he can fully stand on me in a high pair of heels or a tough pair of boots and I can be on my elbows and knees and I can grunt and bear it and everyone in the bar can look at us and go, what the fuck is wrong with those two? But you love it. You love the stairs. Oh, yeah. I'm an exhibitionist, baby. <laughs> If you couldn't tell. And then one quick, so you, you're, you're saying how, you know, find other people with disability. Is there, are there, are there websites? Are there spaces for people to find other people with disabilities? They're in terms of not space. As, yeah. They're not as common, but they exist. They totally exist. Like Could you, you name one? can find them. Um, so I can plug my own, which is chronically kinky. And although we don't have a social media presence, we do post our events on FetLife um, and you can email us about getting on our email list at uh, chronicallykinkysg, as in support group, at gmail.com. Um, most of our events are um, most like social support spaces where we talk to people, exchange ideas, um, but we also have classes. The, I don't know when this is airing, but our July classes, like flexibility and kink, so like being creative, how do we modify? specifically to work with disabled people, right? Uh, and that one's actually being taught by my sir who, you know, like has his own mobility stuff and is also hard of hearing. And those are also things that like alter your play. So like, for example, if we're playing and he's doing something and it's a loud venue, he can't hear me say, 
read, right? He can't hear me say a word. So what are the other ways that you modify to make sure this person can acknowledge that something's, that I need to check in? Um, so for people who are like, well, what do I do? Um, a fun one is to just hold something and drop it. There's always that. Um, I like the raise hand method. You know, I usually have my hands like on the equipment. And if I raise one of them, that means come over here, something's wrong. Um, but there's all these different ways to accommodate folks, right? Um, and also like just keep asking questions, keep talking to people, go to conferences if you can. You're gonna tell me, Orion, oh, but they're so expensive. Did you know that most conferences have scholarship programs? Apply to them. They are made so that disabled people can attend. They want you to attend. And if they don't want you to attend, that's not the event for you. That's how I went to so many different things is I asked. I said, please give me money. And they said, we got you. <laughs> These things exist. People want you to be there, start meeting your local community, start saying what you need, be vocal about what you need. And when I started being visible, when I started being loud, when I started being like, I am here in my multitudes as like an immigrant from Latin America, as a disabled person, as a queer trans person, then other people who were on the margins, who felt like kink is not for me, it is not accessible because of X, Y, Z, started coming out too. Sometimes you need to see somebody else do it. Yes. Yes, 100%. Well, thank you, Pupstar Orion, for coming to me. Hey, thank you. Pupstar Orion's Chronically Kinky July meeting is Saturday, July 30th. More information on the event and who to contact for future events can be found in the FetLife link, which I have posted in the show notes. All right, kiddos, before we go, make sure to check out my Twitter for the Newsies Nook giveaway. Four listeners could win one of four prizes from Tykables, ABU, and Playtime. Rules on how to enter can be found on my Twitter at NewsyBaby. All right, kiddos, I gotta go change. See ya. Bye. Are you a kiddo who dreams? Kinky dreams? Dreams of wearing pants like the ones you grew up with? Well, golly gee, dream no more. Kinky Dreams specializes in printing cute vintage designs of diaper prints, superheroes, and cartoon characters on adult diapers. These handcrafted pants will leave you feeling your full baby fantasy. If you want to get your grabby hands on one of these one-of-a-kind diapers, make sure to use promo code PLAYTIME for 10% off all Kinky Dreams products. Kinky Dreams, making your little dreams come true.